Why do jellyfish exist? I was walking on the beach with one of my sons. He was very small, young at this time. And this particular son always asked questions like this. No matter where we were, he asked these sort of deep questions. What was going on? What is the meaning behind all of this? No, really, what is the meaning behind these things? And on this day, we were walking down the beach, and there just seemed to be jellyfish everywhere. And to be honest with you, they were ruining his day. And he was frustrated about it. And so he looked at me and he said, why do jellyfish exist? I mean, do they just float around and sting people? Is that why they exist? Is that their purpose in the world? I mean, why do they exist? And I was thinking, as a dad, I have to give some sort of intelligent answer for jellyfish. And so I began thinking, well, they eat certain things in the ocean, and then certain things eat them. And before I could get those words out of my mouth, he just said, the glory of God, I guess. <laughs> just the glory of God, I guess. That's the only reason I can find why jellyfish exist. Now, some of you feel that way when you ask the question, why do you exist? Why do you exist? You're just kind of like a jellyfish floating around, meandering. You don't really know what your purpose is. And, and because you uh, may have grown up around church, you've been here some, you would say, the glory of God, I guess. That's why I exist. Maybe even more specifically, the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why I exist, for His supremacy. You may know how to answer that question in general, but what does that really mean, the glory of God? For some of you, that generic answer isn't enough. You can say it, but you, you want to know, why do I really exist? Well, why, why do I have life and breath in this moment? And, and, and the question is answered as we continue to move through the first two chapters of the Bible. Remember last week, we said there is a God who created all things, and He must be worshipped. And so we can begin to answer the question that way. You exist as God's creation to worship Him for the glory of God. You exist to worship God as your Creator. And this week, we're going to talk even more specifically about the purposes for which God created us. In chapter 1, when we got to verse 26, as we were hurrying through that chapter, we got to verse 26, and you may have noticed me say these things very quickly last week, that God created man as the capstone of all creation. He, he created the world. He, cre he created land, sea, sky. He created plants. He created vegetation. He created living creatures in the sky, in the sea, and on land. And then He created man as the capstone. Even in some sense, the centerpiece of all creation. And in verse 26, we begin to see why he created man and made him the capstone of all creation. And as we look through this section, beginning in verse 26 of chapter 1, we begin to an answer the question, why do you exist? First of all, you were created 
for a kingdom of goodness, order, and life. Notice verse 26, when God gets to the creation of man. Then God said, and we've seen that throughout chapter 1, as God is creating all things, He creates with His Word. But notice here, then God said, let us make man. At this point, God is having a conversation among the Trinity. We, we, we see this. This is a personal plan within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They, they get to this point, and there's going to be strategic, intentional, personal creation that goes on here. And notice it is the creation of man, humanity. But notice the description. Let us create man in our image, in our likeness. The word for image here, it, it, it is to be a stamp or an imprint of something. It, it, it refers to the, the cutting out or carving out of an image, of, a, of, a, of even in some sense the word is used of carving an idol. But here God is going to carve out an image of himself in the world. And he further describes what this is like. Uh, after our likeness. Th this is what this image is going to be. It is going to reflect the likeness of God. God is going to create man as a stamp of his likeness in the world. Something that is similar or like him in the world. That is what man is to be. But notice man's purpose. Why is God creating man? And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the, uh, of the heavens, and over the livestock, and all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Why does man exist in the image of God like God? to have dominion over all of life in the world. That is the purpose of man's existence. That is why God creates him in his image, in his likeness, that he would rule over all the earth. Now, one of the things we can deduce from this that we'll begin to see when he talks about our likeness is that God is a trinity. He is trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and inherent in the Trinity is a relationship. So, so one of the ways uh, we are created like God is we are created to have relationships. We're created to know and be known. And that's going to be a part of the dominion man is going to have in the world. Because as we're going to see, he is to have dominion by bringing life into the world. And then there's this component of knowing and being known. But primarily here, man is created to rule and reign. That's why he exists. The idea of dominion here is the idea of a kingdom. And so God is, in some sense, creating a king who will rule on his behalf over all of life. And then notice verse 26. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. In this image of ruling and reigning and dominion, man is created. But then notice this, and we're going to see more about this aspect of creation next week. Male and female, he created them. He creates man and woman, 
to rule and reign. There's, an, there's a sense in which man cannot rule without woman. And as we move through the scriptures last week, we saw over and over as God is creating the world, it is binary. It, it requires, as we move through, two things at each section of scripture that we moved through last week, two equal parts that are needed for life. Remember, you have heaven and you have earth. You have light and you have darkness. You have day and you have night. You have land and you have water. You have sun and you have moon. And the universe cannot exist without those things working together. Two things that are different but equal that carry out God's creation. And here as the capstone of God's creation, you have to have man and you have to have woman. And we see even further why man and woman must exist. We see this in God's purpose for man and woman. In verse 28, he says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. One of the components of this dominion is to bring forth more life into the world. That's why you have to have man and woman. Gender is necessary for that. This is a part of God's dominion for man is that there would be life in the world. This is why he says to him, he blesses man, he graces him, he gives him the ability and commissions him to bring forth life into the world when he says, be fruitful and multiply. As part of God's dominion for man, he is to produce life and he is to reproduce life in the world. And we'll see this is very significant. Remember last week we talked about the fact that Genesis is written to Israel and Israel's existence rides on the promise that they would be made like the stars in the sky, the sand on the sea. They, they, they would outnumber the peoples of the earth. And they would, notice he says here, fill the earth and subdue it. We'll talk about next week how families bring more families into the world. This is a part of the dominion that man is to have in the world in bringing life into the world. But notice even further when he talks about man having dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the heavens, and over every living thing that moves. He uses this word subdue. He is to have dominion by bringing life into the world. He is to have dominion also by subduing the life that is in the world, the created life in the world. And this word refers to the fact that he is going to be like God that, that we saw last week when God is bringing order to chaos. That's what the word means, to bring order to chaos, to bridle, to harness, to bring forth from confusion and chaos, what makes sense, what gives order to the world around him. And so we see two things here in man's dominion. It is to produce, reproduce, bring life into the world, and also subdue life in the world in a way that makes sense. And we, we see this even in the created order. Even as we think about man's dominion post-fall, 
After Adam sins, the world is cursed and there's death and disorder in the world. And things are out of control. But even at the heart of all of that, we see humanity that has this weird, even mysterious, God-given control over the world around him. It rebels and it gets out of control at times. Bad things happen. But at the heart of all things, there is man who can control the world around him under God's rule and reign. And so we have a responsibility to bring forth life into the world and subdue the world around us. But then in verses 29 and 30, we see just for time's sake, God provides man with provision that he would continue to have life in the world. And then we see at the end of everything, as we talked about last week, all of this creation that is given over to man, life and order, the world around him that he is subdued, all of this, the order of all things, God said was very good. And so at the end of chapter 1, we see that God has created a place for man to rule and reign over by bringing forth life and order. And this is very good. This is man's destiny, this kingdom of life and order. As we think about, that's why we exist. As we we look around the world and, and we think, why do I exist? You exist to have life. You exist to produce life, protect life. We should be in awe of that reality. That that, that God has has given us this role in His universe. This this role to, it's almost miraculous to bring in more immortal image bearers into the world. That is primarily the, the, the first component of dominion that God gives us. And it is amazing. It is an amazing reality that we are to cultivate and steward as human beings. Now, because sin and death in the world, this is very hard. This is difficult. The blessing of life also is tainted with the curse. But today, if you are a mother here and you have been blessed with children, this is is an amazing reality that God has graced you with. One of the things in our culture is that women are are so lured into the lie that there is more to life than nurturing human life. God has given you that blessing and you should be thankful for that blessing. There are many here today who would long for that blessing, who, who want that blessing in their life. And so first of all, you should thank God that he has given you that purpose and that meaning in your life is being fulfilled in that way. And if you are a dad here today, God has graced you with life in your home to protect protect and provide for. And yet the world around you is constantly clamoring. Yeah, you could have more money without these kids. You could have more time to yourself without these kids. You could have more hot water on a Sunday morning without these kids. But you are to stop and say, but this is God's blessing on my life. I exist to protect and provide for human life. 
And no matter how that's working out for some of us in a world that is cursed with sin, some of us long for these things, and yet God has not blessed us in these ways, we can all step back and say, at some point we are to make life better, protect life for others. Even as we heard from Sarah Roof today, there are opportunities for you to step in and still protect and nurture life in the world around you. And you see that as a human created in the image of God, that is a dominion that you are to have in your life. Your life is not just about your life. God has given you life to think about others and to nurture life in the world. And one of the ways I want to encourage you to do that is put your dang screen down. Put it down, especially at church, and look around and be in awe and wonder of the images of God that are all around you constantly. Amazing, complex life. God has created humanity in this mysterious, miraculous way, mentally, emotionally, physically. It is to cause worship constantly. Put your screen down and actually talk to people. Leave your house and build relationships with other people so that you would see life and appreciate life and value life. And this week, I want you to do something as you walk into work, as you walk into the grocery store. Yeah, don't, don't do that thing where they drop groceries on your, on your step. Go to the grocery store and walk around and look at other people on the aisles and say in your mind, Image of God, image of God, image of God. Even the, the people at work that you don't like, image of God, image of God. Miraculous, immortal, image of God. And you know what's going to happen in your heart? Those lives that it's hard for you to value, those people that it's hard for you to love, What's going to happen is you're going to look around and you're going to begin to value them. You're going to begin to, to long to, to, to love them because you see they are created in the image of God. But also, as you go to work this week, I want you to wake up every morning excited about what is in front of you. Because God has created you in his image to have dominion and as we see here, to create order in the world. You reflect God day in and day out at work as you bring order to the chaos around you. And you should be fired up about that every morning. I get to be like God today. The creator of heaven who heaven and earth, who he took this formless matter and he made it make sense and he gave it life and he created all these things so that we could live on it. And you wake up every day to march out of your house on mission to make the world around you more livable for other people. That's one of the ways you nurture life. Some of you are going to go out this week and you're going to harness science and medicine and technology, and you're literally going to subdue bacteria and viruses that have created disorder in the body. And you're going to do that as an image of God, like God, bringing order to the chaos in someone else's body. And you should be fired up about that. 
And you should be excited about that. And you should say, yes, I am in the image of God and I'm going to be like God today. Others of you are going to fight the chaos of sin and disorder by pursuing justice through law and order. Some of you are going to write speeding tickets. And while the rest of us are frustrated about that, you're going to say, I'm bringing order to chaos. This is how we live our life. I'm excited about the job and the career and the work that is in front of me. Some of you are going to disciple and coach and teach, and you're going to take information in the world. You're going to take truth that's just kind of out there, and you're going to harness that. You're going to subdue it, and you're going to pour that into the life of others so that their life is more livable, so they understand truth and they understand the world around them. You are going to bring order to chaos as teachers and mentors and coaches and shepherds and counselors. You're going to fight the dysfunction of sin for the good of others. Every day is an opportunity for you to worship through what you do. Harnessing grit and creativity and skill. And you should dominate it. Notice the word dominion. The word dominion. When you leave, I'm going to dominate this day. I'm going to Repair cars and houses to the glory of God. That means I'm going to dominate every nail. I'm going to move dirt. I'm going to give IVs. I'm going to create spreadsheets that bring order to other people's lives. I'm going to create computer codes that bring order to the world for the good of others. And you should dominate it day in and day out as an act of worship. That's why you exist. To bring life into the world, protect life, nurture life, and to make life more livable for others. But also we notice verse 4, you were created for a kingdom of goodness, order, and life, but you were created for a place to know God forever. And we see this in verses 4 through 6. Notice verse 4, he says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Now, As we move through Genesis, we see the accounting of men like Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the generations of their uh, their life, their families are recounted through stories. Here, God is telling a story of the heavens and earth. This is how we got to where we are with the heavens and earth. There was a time in this section, for the sake of time, when, when there was creation, and God had made all things, but there was nothing growing from the ground yet because God hadn't caused it to rain. And he says here, there was no man to work the ground. There was just mist coming from the ground. Now, in those two descriptions, we're to think about two other things. What happens after the fall? Man has to go out and work the ground. What else does God do to creation? He brings about a flood. And so what God is saying here is before any of that ever happened, the ground was fertile and God was just making the ground fertile. There was water going up that was watering the whole face of the earth here. And he says, at that time, all the way in verse 7, then the Lord formed the man of the dust from the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And so we go back to chapter 1. He just kind of summarizes why we exist. 
And then here he begins to tell the story specifically of how we came into existence, how God specifically created man. And notice it says, then God formed the man of the dust. Now the word dust here, it refers to scattered particles from the ground. Now think about that, because what did God do in chapter 1? He took a formless, empty matter that seemed to be in chaos and he separated it from darkness and water and he formed livable land. And here as you look at dust on the ground that's just kind of moving, God grabs it. That's scattered. He takes dominion over this dust and he makes it into a living, breathing being. He literally separates man from the ground in scattered particles. He orders the dust and he's going to fill it with his life, the breath of God. Now, one of the things we learn here is while God's throne is in heaven, man is from the ground and in a lot of ways is bound to the ground. We are not like God in that way. His throne is in heaven. He's he's different than us. We were created from the ground and we are mere dirt apart from God. Even here we see the beauty of woman. Make sure I say that because she is created from Adam, not from the ground. We're going to talk about that next week. But what does it mean that God literally breathed the breath of life into man and this is how he was given life? Well, here as God breathes into man, he becomes not just dirt, not just a body, but he also becomes spiritual. He has a body and soul. There's something more to man than just the ground, than just the physical matter he's made up of. We know, we can trace the biology that it takes to form a body. But only God can give this mysterious part of the soul that makes you who you are. That's not just biology. God is doing something in every human being that makes them spiritual. The giving of a soul that we see here begins with Adam. And we see here that life at this point is a sovereign gift from God. He does it every time. You did not choose to be alive. You didn't. You weren't a soul that just said, you know what? I think I'll take on a body. No, God allowed you to be born. He allowed you to exist and he imparted this soul, this even breath of life to you. We see this in even the way breathing works. You take 22,000 breaths a day. How many of those breaths do you think about? And some of you have to think about some. After you walk a distance. But how, may, how much of just your breathing is involuntary? What's going on there? God is keeping you alive. God gives the breath of life. This is what we're learning here. God is the one who sovereignly gives life. We learn to walk in some sense. Breathing just happens. Breathing just takes place almost miraculously for everyone. But even more than that, why are we given the gift of life? Why are we given the breath of God? Why are we given a soul? Ultimately, we talked about this earlier, life is given to know and be known by God. This is what God is doing here. 
Think about this. The rest of creation is created as God speaks. And it comes into existence. Here, there is an intimate connection with man as he doesn't just speak. He gets down in his face and breathes into his nostrils. From the beginning, there is an intimate connection relationship with God. The imagery here is even of a kiss. It is described as a kiss. There's an intimate connection with God and man as he gives gives him life. And it is to be an eternal connection. We, We think about God who is eternal. And here as he gives man an eternal soul, it's not just to know him in this world. It is to know him forever. And so God gives man the breath of life. It is a gift from God that we would know and be known by God forever. Jesus said this. He says, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only God, speaking to the Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. You were created to have a dominion of life, to bring order into the world. And at the heart of all that, you exist to know and be known by God. That's why you exist. For the glory of God, I guess. More than that, to be known by God. And to know God. And to the extent that you do not pursue this purpose, you will lack meaning in life. You you will lack purpose in life. And some of you, that is the case right now. You're trying to fill your life with all kinds of other meaning, all kinds of purpose. You're trying to find satisfaction in all kinds of other things, even knowing and being known by other people. And it's not happening. There's still that void. Because the heart of your existence is to know God and be known by Him. And the extent to which you pursue that purpose, it doesn't matter what else happens in life. It doesn't matter the other pursuits. It doesn't matter where you find meaning in in other things because the core of your existence is fulfilled in knowing God. That's why, again, you should wake up every day and take dominion over that aspect of your life. That's how you bring order to the chaos of your life is knowing the one who gave you life. And you should fight against that every day. The sin of apathy I'm just distracted. No, you have to take dominion over that. You have to subdue that. And you have to say, no, I exist to know God. And so I'm going to get in his word. That's where he's revealed himself. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray in response to his word. I exist to know and be known by God. I'm going to remember the gospel. I'm going to rehearse the gospel in my life because that's how I know him as father That's how I know Jesus as my brother. That's how I experience the Spirit. That's how I know God. So I'm going to pursue that day in and day out because that at the heart is why I exist, to know and be known by God. In the next section, we see that knowing and being known by God happens in a specific place. He creates a garden called Eden. And this garden... Eden, it means a place of delight. This is what God creates for man. A place of delight where he would live with him. He would know him. He would be known by him. And and as we see the description here, just in summary, this is a place full of beauty. See, the trees, they were created 
for beauty. We see it's a place of provision. He's given food. We even see the rivers flowing all around it make the place fertile. But we even see this even more. You notice the minerals that are there, the gold and other uh, jewels that are found there. And what is God, why does God lavish so much upon him? Couldn't he just give him food and water? No, he gives him beauty for his eyes. He gives him even wealth. And what God is communicating here, what Moses is communicating to us, is God created you for life. He created you to know and be known by God, and he created you for a place that's more than enough. It's more than enough. In the Garden of Eden, Adam had more than enough. That's why it makes no sense that he would choose to know more than the good that God had given him in Eden. Notice the two trees that are there. The tree of life. The tree of goodness. You will live. You will continue to live in this place with God and know His goodness. Or the tree of knowledge and evil. And what that means is you know God's goodness. You disobey God. And you're going to know evil. That's why we see next. We were created to obey God. All the way down in verse 15. God creates this place for man. And then he takes him, verse 15, and he put him in the garden of Eden, the garden of delight. And notice why he put him there, to work it. He placed him there to work it, to labor, to grow, to build, to cultivate, to produce. The life that is there, he is to have dominion over it, and he is to cultivate more life. And we say this often around here, work is not bad. The curse, sin, makes work hard, but it's not bad. We were created to work and cultivate more life in the world. But also this word work can also be translated worship. Man was placed in this place to worship God. But notice, and to keep it. Now, this refers to man's responsibility to protect the garden. We're going to see that in chapter 3. He doesn't do this. But he is to sustain the garden. He is to watch over it. He is to keep it safe. He is to maintain care for the garden. But also the word can mean obey. So there's a lot of emphasis here that you're placed in the garden to know and be known by God. And you will maintain that as you serve God and obey him. That this is how life will be maintained in the garden by Adam. And this is what he further communicates in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden. Now go back. God has provided more than enough, right? We so often focus on what he hasn't provided for us. What we would want beyond what he has provided. But the heart of sin is this. It begins here. God has provided you with more than enough. You don't have to choose sin. God has provided man with more than enough in the garden. And this is why he says, you may eat of every tree, but of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Do you see what's going on there? You know what's good now. You have everything that's good. To choose beyond this is to choose evil. What I have not designed for you, what I have not given you in this place, it is more, which in the end is less than what I have given you. 
You will know good and evil. He says, you shall not eat from this tree. Notice he further describes, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know good, you will experience evil, and you will die. Here's the thing, to choose sin, to choose evil is to choose to die and to know death. Now, one of the truths here is at this point in the story, Eve has not been created. So who is responsible to lead in obedience, protect and provide in the garden? Adam. Adam is responsible to maintain the life in the garden through what? His obedience. That is at the core of what maintains life in the garden. Life comes from obeying God. Death comes from disobeying God. And remember, this is written to Israel in the land. If you keep my law, you will, you will continue to live in the land with me. You break my law, you will be exiled out of the land and you will die. And that is what he's telling Adam here. But you exist to obey God as his creature. I know obedience is on hard times. Even, even among Christians, it, it's, it's not something we want to talk about. It sounds harsh. Raw obedience is just something that, hey, we're about grace now, right? But notice where this all began. You, get, you, you receive life and maintain life when you obey God. And, and that's why we can deduce here, you are never more alive than when you obey God. You are never more hum, uh, genuinely and purely human than when you are obeying your Creator. God's Word, think about this, in chapter 1, creates what? Goodness, life, and order. His Word created all that. To know that and experience it, very simply, is to obey His Word. That's where goodness in life comes from. See, you are convinced of this, and I'm convinced of this, that if I sin, I will be more alive. If I disobey God, there's some sort of freedom and joy to life that I don't have now. And so I've got to choose that. And that's a lie from Satan that he's going to convince Adam of in chapter 3. And it's a lie we believe daily. No, no, no. I am never more alive than I, when I do things God's way. When I open up his word and I say, this is his standard for relationships and sex and marriage. This is what God has said about money. This is what God has said about the way that I talk to others. This is what God has said about the way that I show mercy. This is what God has said about the way I love others. I'm never more alive than when I just simply obey God. Get that. Because that's why you exist. You exist for a kingdom of life and order where you would know God face to face, surrendered in obedience and service forever. That's why you exist. But we failed at that. Adam did not provide a kingdom full of goodness and life. What did Adam provide for us? A kingdom full of sin and death. And it's the kingdom you provide for yourself day in and day out by believing the lie that you would be more human if you disobeyed God. That's the lie we believe. And because of Adam's sin, we now, we live in a world that's not very good. 
Sin has separated us from God. Sin has separated us from the Garden of Eden, this place of life. And we know what it is to die. Think about up until this point, death's not even mentioned. And now all of a sudden this word death, what does that mean? Well, it means you're going to be separated from your creator, the one who's given you life. You're not going to know the reason for which you exist. That's why it's good news that Jesus wasn't created in the image of God. He is the image of God. Which means He is God's King and dominion. And you know what Jesus does in flesh and blood? He steps into the world He created and He begins to speak with the Word that created everything and He begins to subdue the sin and chaos that is all around Him. Disorder. He speaks to sickness and it leaves bodies. Jesus stands on the side of a boat and he speaks to the very wind and waves that he created and they listen to his word. He is the image of God in flesh who subdues the chaos from sin and death in the world. And he goes so far as to speak to death itself. He stands outside of a coffin The picture of what we have created for ourselves in a world of life is death. And he talks to death. And he says, come out of the tomb. And death walks out of a tomb to him. He goes even further. He speaks to the sins of a man who is lying, who can't walk. And he says to the people around him, which is easier for me to say to this man, get up and walk or your sins are forgiven. You see, the image of God who is pure and holy and rules and reigns speaks to sin and death and sickness and all of its effects. And he he points to this kingdom in which he will bring order to the chaos all around. And that's why Jesus comes to bring you not just life, not just to give you life like it was in the garden, but he comes to give you abundant life. And even more than that is that you would know Him in His creation, in His world, but you would know what it is like to have eternal life. You would know what it is like to to have the hope of being raised out of your casket vault to live with Him forever. You would know the resurrection and the life whose name is Jesus, who says, if you follow after me and you obey me, you will never see death. You will just know life. You see, you were created for life in a kingdom full of goodness and order, but you can't provide that for yourself. You were created to know God, but you've chosen not to. You were created to obey God, but you chose to disobey Him, and you will die spiritually. And if you do not repent, you will die eternally. And so what do you do? Well, today Jesus brings you to another tree to another tree, and your decision to have life is not in a garden. It's outside of the garden at a place called place of the skull, place of death. So you get life from the place of death because there was a tree that Jesus stood before and chose to obey God for you. And the one who was good and only knew goodness chose to know all of your evil. 
as the wrath of God was poured out upon him for your sin, as he is sacrificed for your sin at the cross. The cross becomes the tree of life for you when you believe in him. And you know what happens when you trust in him and you believe in his death for you and you trust in his obedience for you because you can't obey God in and of yourself apart from the spirit of God. You know what happens when you say, I will follow him. I will deny my life. You're never more alive. Because of the very breath of God that gave Adam life breathes not just into your face, but into your heart and makes you alive and immerses you into Christ that you would know him forever. So why do you exist for life, to know God, to obey God? Why do you exist for the glory of God, I guess. But we know the glory of God's name. And his name is Jesus. You exist for life in Christ. To know him and to follow him. I wonder if you would do that today.